Lamentations chapter 3, verse 21 to 24. It'll be on the screen behind me if we can read it together very quickly. It says this, Yet I will dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is His faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in Him. Powerful three verses of Scripture. But what is even more powerful is where you find them. These verses are not in a bumper sticker. They're not in, at the end of a triumphal story. They're not at the end of a story that has had incredible victory and joy. It's, Lamentations could be paraphrased and give a new title called 2020. The book of Lamentations is just that. It's one long lament. The man Jeremiah wrote it, and it says this book where he is complaining, he is moaning, he's in the doldrums, and with, not without cause. A guy who's seen the depths of life. He's seen the depravity of life. He's seen people walking resolutely away from God and into the wilderness, literally and figuratively, into the pain, into brokenness, into seeing a city destroyed that he loved, and seeing a people held captive against their will. He's a man who's moaning and groaning. If you see the read the rest of this book, you'll find hard to find a great verse beside these three in the book. It's a tough book. But he lands his lament in this place. He says in, on the back end of all this moaning and this back of this groaning, he, he, he speaks this word of hope and courage and the faithfulness of God. And what I love about the book of Lamentations for me is this, is that I love the fact that God allows our pain. And He allows our, 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 our processing of our pain. He allows us able to vocalize that pain. He's not against that. He's not a, a God of, hold it together. No, He allows us to pour out our anguish to Him. And not only that does He allow it, he, he identifies Himself in it with us. The Bible calls Him a man of sorrows who, who knows our pain. But here's the great news, is that He's also our help in it and through it. And this is the exciting thing. So today I want to tell you what I've named this sermon. I've named it The Moans, The Groans and the stones. And I want to help you with it, because the reason why it will make sense as we go along, uh, we, were in, we had the privilege of going to the bush uh, this last weekend. It was an incredible time away. But in the bush, as you're driving, uh, and we, we weren't in a 4x4 vehicle, but then some comes, you're driving a little bit off-road. There's a lot of sand. And as you go up some, some hills that are just clogged, clogged with sand, if you go on the wrong tracks, you know, all of a sudden, you can be going at any speed, but all of a sudden, those wheels just start turning, dust starts going, and you feel like you're not making any progress. The car, you're revving it. The car is making a loud noise. The people in the back are making a loud noise. It is, the animals around you are freaking out because it's just, it's loud, but not much progress is being made because you're on an incline, and there's just a lot of sand. There's no traction. But you know what they have done is that they have made two paths just to the side, and what they've done is they've laid down some stones that you're supposed to drive on to make it through, though, though there's still the same sand, though there's still the same incline, they actually, if you drive on the right side of the road, on the right side of the pathway, there's the stones, your wheels get traction and able to move forward. So I want to help us find traction in our lives today because I want to tell you when the spouse betrays, when the doubt invades, when the storm, the sickness, the trials, the pain, trouble knock at your door, which they might be already or it might be coming, I want to give us three stones, three rocks, three anchors that Jeremiah gives us from this passage to use as a strategy to experience, not just know about, but to experience the faithfulness of God. So let's pray. Father, I thank you today. Would you come and meet us in power? Would you meet us in reality, not just singing about your faithfulness, but experiencing the tangible nature 
of who you are, our faithful God. I thank you, God. Strengthen the weak hearts, the feeble hearts, the broken hearts by your word and by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So three things, three rocks, three anchors, three stones amidst the moans and the groans. So when life comes and all your heart wants to do is lean into the moans or lean into the groans of pain and anguish, of death, of betrayal, of fear, I want to anchor your heart today in these three ways. So the first one from this text is number one, remember, remember. The verse will appear behind me. It says this, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The enemy wants us to remember something else. The enemy wants us to remember the pain, the brokenness, the betrayal, the anguish, the fear, the anxiety. But Jeremiah says, yet I still dare to have hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. Now, this is huge. You see, in the Bible, there's this process that God's people, He always would encounter them in power. He would always deliver them. He would always make a way. And as they move forward on this journey and they encounter another hill for for the metaphor's sake with sand and lack of traction, the people of God were remarkable at forgetting how faithful God was and getting stuck on that hill, revving and not making any progress. So God, in his, in, his, in his wisdom, through all the way, we sang the song, God of Abraham, if you trace all the way through these different biblical, biblical characters in the Old Testament, God gave them instructions that when they experienced victory, when they saw his mighty hand, he said, I want you to build an altar of remembrance there. Before you move on, I want you to build an altar of remembrance. And how did they build it? Yep, you guessed it, with stones. Literal stones, and literal, they literally and figuratively put stones together and built an altar, not to, of sacrifice, but of remembrance. Not pleading God to do great things, but remembering God has done great things. Great case in point is in Joshua chapter 4. They cross over the, the river in victory, and God has told, told them, I'm going to take you into the promised land. And as the first thing they do is they cross over the river, God says to Joshua, build an altar there of remembrance to remember this day. So the scriptures say they took 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel, representing all the people who were, who were going with them on this journey, and they built this altar. And they, they says this, God said, when they ask you, when your children ask you, why is that altar there? You tell them the story of how God was faithful to his promise, that he gave you the land that you are entering into. It's an incredible moment for me, and that's why this is so powerful. That's why we tell testimonies. That's why we film videos of people telling stories. That's why if you are around me any length of time, you'll hear me again and again telling the same stories of victory. It's not because I am running low on them. It's because some of them are so deep in my heart they become altars of remembrance. That when I lose courage, I've got somewhere to look. Can I tell you, when I look at a life and I go, that life is far gone and I don't know how salvation and joy and life is going to come to it, an altar of remembrance for me is my mother-in-law, Karen. I tell that story to my soul and I look at her and I go, that is an altar of remembrance. I go, God, you are faithful. Can I tell you, when I look meet couples who are struggling to fall pregnant, there's a boy named Judah Van Pletzen in our church who's running around, kicking rugby balls, kicking people, doing it all. He's a 12-year-old now. But I look at him and I see him as an altar of remembrance because God prophesied that boy into a barren womb. And a woman who couldn't fall pregnant fell pregnant. So for me, I go, I look at him and go, God, you can do it. Test me of this. The opportunity to say, God, this is how faithful you've been. Do it again, God. Can I tell you why do I tell the story again and again? I, I tell the story of how God set me free from pornography addiction. My mom has heard that story so many times. And she said, Gabe, I think you should lay that one to rest now. Being honest, that's what she said to me. 
And at some level, I was like, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe, you know, I've, that one. But I've realized, for me, it's an altar of remembrance. That I've laid that down, saying, God, that is what you've done. And can I tell you, every time I've told that, test me. Every time I've seen other people come and say, can I speak? I need to see that deliverance myself. And I, I want to say, why do we do this? I want to encourage you, build altars of remembrance for your family. In this season, in this year, in the midst of trial, would you sit down and build altars of remembrance? Not literally with stones, don't worry, but sit down. If it needs you to write it down, if it needs you to, to talk it through with your family, what, how God has been faithful, write that down. Remember it. Place that moment. When God provides miraculously, sit with your family, sit with your spouse, sit with your, your significant other and say, this is how God has delivered us. Anchor your heart to that rock, to that stone in this moment. You see, he has a perfect track record of faithfulness. God never fails. And something my wife encouraged me to say, I thought it was really good. She said, don't dig up in doubt what you have sowed in faith. You see, when you build an altar of remembrance, you're sowing in faith, saying, God, this is how God is faithful. So that when years later, the moment comes, the enemy comes to knock that thing and saying, will God provide again? You're able to look back and say, I haven't dug up what I sowed. Something's growing there. Faith is growing there. You see, this is what I love about this word. It says that in that verse, if you go to the scripture there, Andrea, the, uh, the one that we just read, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. Can you say the faithful love? Faithful. That word faithful love is the word chesed, C-H-E-S-E-D. You guys want to be Hebrew scholars today? Ready for it? You're going to leave with some Hebrew in your vocabulary. I love this word chesed. The first time it appears is, is, is actually Exodus 34 when God says, this is who I am. Gracious and compassionate, faithful to a thousand generations. That word faithful love is in the other words for it are faithful love, steadfast love, loyal love. It appears about God 240 times in scripture. This is how God identifies himself. A God of faithful love, steadfast love. It's said 127 times in the Psalms, often poetically likened to the permanence and vastness of creation. Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens. He uses, he uses this language that is not earthly, but this word chesed has, is emotionally charged and at the same time covenantly charged. What do I mean by that? Covenantly means that it never moves. It is promised by God and never shaken. Nothing can happen. But it's not this dour, this like, ugh, depressed, yeah, I suppose I have, to, I have to be faithful to you, yeah, I suppose. It, at the same level, chesed has this, this emotionally charged nature to it that is linking with the covenant. This is so huge. Why? And this is how I've learned it. When God speaks about himself in Exodus 34, he says, I'm abounding in chesed. He doesn't just say, I have enough. He says, I abound in faithful love. I abound in steadfast love. And uh, something that I've learned, I'm a very simple guy. So you might go, wow, Gabe knows Hebrew. Wait a minute, I'll show you how dumb I am. But this helps me remember things. Is that word chesed. I come from Zimbabwe. And if you ever asked a Zimbabwean, any Zimbabweans here today? Judith, where are you? come on. There we are. Claire, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. When you ask a Zimbabwean, you say to him, um, they say, hey, I was, if, instead of saying I was chased, they say, they say I was chesed. <laughs> hey, am I right? I'm right. That guy, that lion, chested me there. <laughs> Can I tell you, this is how I remember these things. When I see the word chesed, I don't read it chesed. I see it chesed. 
Because this is the promise of God, that actually God, when he talks about his faithful love, his steadfast love, his faithful love tested you there, and it tested you here, and it tested you into your brokenness, and it tested you into your valley, it tested you into your doubt, it tested you when you had nothing left. His faithful, steadfast love emotionally and covenantly tested you. This is how I remember these things, the stones that anchor my heart. And I tell you, when we look back, we see altars of remembrance littering our path. When we make this a habit, when the enemy knocks on your door, and he will, when doubt knocks on your door, when despair knocks, when betrayal knocks, and fear knocks, and everything inside you wants you to lament and go to the moans and the groans in your heart, you say, no, I'm going to the stones. I've built an altar of remembrance. I remember when God provided. I remember when God provided. First point is remember. Secondly is rehearse. The first line of that tells us to remember. The last line of it says this, and that portion of text we read said, I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I'll hope in him. The first portion tells us, Jeremiah is looking back, the last portion says, actually the Lord is my inheritance, what is to come? And I love this, that there's a power of knowing how things end. Do you know that last year, about a year ago, I'm still living in the glory days of, I've been watching Chasing the Sun, the the documentary of the Springboks Road to Victory and weeping my way through it, weeping. It's been wonderful. And uh, and the the incredible thing is I, I remember that day when we beat England, when the Springboks defeated England. That day, I was so nervous. It was as if I was playing. I've been so sold on the Kool-Aid. I am player 23. I'm in. And uh, I, remember, I remember just the, the stress, the concern. And, and then, you know, the, the, the euphoria eventually came when Chesan Colby, sorry for the, I apologize if you're not a rugby fan. But when he scored the winning try, South Africa, you beauty. You know, it's, like, it's all over. We're dancing. We're singing the national anthem. We've won the World Cup. This, I, I can't I remember watching the game. I couldn't actually remember some of the plays because I was so stressed. I was, I was walking. I'm that guy walking up and down, like, biting my nails. Later on, I went home. Knowing we had won, I thought, you know what? I want to watch the game again. Oh, I enjoyed the game. There was no anguish. There was no stress, you know? When they scored their points, like, ha ha, it's coming. When I saw Prince Harry high-fiving in the stands, I said, just you wait, buddy. Just you wait. Because I knew how it ended. I knew how it ended. doesn't make the, the detours, the, 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 the swings in the game any less real, but I knew the end. And as Christians, we know the end. We're not people who are living in doubt. How will this thing end up? I I say rehearse because I tell you, we have the lines to the play already. We have the plot outlined before us. And we are playing this narrative out. You see, the book of Revelation, chapter 19, the Bible ends and tells us that one of the great pictures, the last images we've given of Christ coming back, is the rider on the white horse. And he says, this rider is called Faithful and True. This is the one who rides on our behalf and wages war on our behalf on the enemies of God. And, and he comes and brings victory. And the story of Christianity is not one of, of, of where we find death at the end. It's when we find life because of our king. And this is an incredible narrative that is so huge. Because I want to tell you right now, God's faithfulness is not tied to the American elections. Biden or Trump, who cares actually? Because our God is faithful. Can I tell you, his faithfulness is not tied to South African politics. 
It's not tied to who's in charge and who's not, who's making the decisions. Now, I'm not saying that we put our heads in the sand. No, we have opinions. No, we call people to the godly standard, but it doesn't affect my heart. I'm not going to rest in the moans and the groans. I'm holding on to the stones in this moment. You see, this is the incredible thing. The Bible all the way through the New Testament, this happened 2,000 or so years ago. Nearly every book in the New Testament has an instruction to God's people to keep their eyes on heaven. He's coming back. This was 2,000 years ago. They said, they were, the, the writers were convinced, they said, live as, as if he's coming back tomorrow. Yeah. The rider on the white horse, he's coming back. It's called the parousia. Eyes up, he's coming back, the second coming. And, and I love that because now, uh, 2,000 years ago, they were a long way from where we are today. Yeah. And yet they were still living with this eyes up. Amidst persecution that we have no clue about. 2020 was hard. But don't take your 2020 to, to the Apostle Peter. He'll laugh at your 2020. Say, 2020, ha, that's a holiday. Thanks, I'll take it. No, Peter, this is the same guys who were thrown to the lions for sport, who were made to humiliate, lighted on fire by, by Nero, by Caesars. They were the, 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 the dregs of society. Roman society mocked them and abused them. And Caesar said, we will crush Christianity out. This little sect called Christianity will crush it out. Can I tell you the incredible news? If you fly to Rome today, you can pay 20 euros to walk through Caesar's ruins. He's come, he's gone, but the church of Jesus is still here. This is what brings our hope when we rehearse the lines there to remind ourselves. You see, the Apostle Paul said this in the great way. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says this. These light and momentary afflictions. In my Bible, I wrote 2020. I'm not making less of it. I know it's been tough. I know it's been real. But Paul, who was broken, shipwrecked, bitten by snakes, was abused by humanity, was, tried to, was left for dead multiple times. He writes this. Those for him were light and momentary afflictions. Doing what? preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. When I read that, I just wrote two words. Eternal weight, they are heavy, the rewards that are coming, and they're eternal. That's the stone we put in the ground. Something that does not shake us. That when the winds blow, we go, yeah, yeah, but I'm rehearsing something ahead of me. There's something in wait for us. Will we remember? Will we rehearse? And thirdly, will we respond? Wedged in between these remembering and rehearsing verses is this one right in the middle for our present day right now. In the midst of your moans and groans comes this one. It says, his mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. You know what? And when I read that, yes, I believe in the 24-hour day that God has given us as a gift. I believe every single morning when you wake up, it's almost like a reset. God says, you know what? I do not remember what happened yesterday. Let's go. A fresh opportunity. But I believe in a greater sense that when this says his mercies begin afresh each morning, there's a new covenant lens in my heart. What I mean by that is that we live in the eternal morning of Resurrection Sunday. That is so good. For my soul, I think two people just were encouraged. Let me tell you, we live in the eternal morning, the eternal freshness of mercy of Resurrection Sunday. The more, first morning that Mary and the disciples saw the resurrected Christ, that morning has not set yet. Okay, do I have to make it really obvious? Yep, that stone has been rolled away. That stone has been rolled away. And do you know what? The stone was rolled away not to let Jesus out. 
as if the resurrected king of glory would be contained by a stone. The word of God who spoke that into creation it would have just had to go, and the whole thing would have disintegrated. The stone was rolled away not to let him out, but to let us in. He is not here. He is risen. Let the church in. Can I say this? Is that he has been faithful. He will be faithful. He is faithful. He has been, we remember. He will be, we rehearse. He is faithful, we respond. He is faithful to his word. Why do I know that? He is the word. John chapter 1. You know what Jesus' name was before he was born? The word. He was the word. He is the word. He will be the word. And he's faithful to the word. We have to know the word. Not faithful to our worries. He's not faithful to our concerns. No, he's not oblivious to him. But he's faithful to his word. Why this is huge. The other day, I'm bringing this into land. Don't stress. Is that uh, I went on a plane with my friend Wayne Barthas, and we were in the plane, and, this, and I, I remember in the queue going, this flight is full. And I'm going, and my, I don't I know about you, but I start doing math going, uh, when I say math, I don't mean like long divisional fractions, <laughs> don't get me wrong, like just counting, one, two, three, four. And I'm going, there's more people than I think there are seats. It's like, this is going to be interesting. And we get on the plane, and so, so much for social distancing, you know, everything, like, whoa. And we get on the plane, we sit down in 12C and 12D, to be accurate. And as we sat down, we were there and we just saw people coming in. I was like, there is way too many people. And you know when people are standing in the aisle now and you can see confused looks and conversations. And a guy came up to us and said, hey, you guys are in my seat. I'm like, what? What do you, what do you mean in your seat? What, I, what, I just, what? And you start blathering around. She goes, no. He says, the lady at the front desk told me I must be in the seat. 12C, that's my seat. So you're scrambling until Wayne calmly pulls out our ticket and says, nobody. 12C, 12D, these are our seats. I don't care what she has said. It's written here. We've got a paper. Oh, oh sorry. And they had, to, they had to go make a plan. And some people had to exit the plane. We sat in our seats unmoved. I've got a paper that says 12C and 12D. It's a silly story. But I want to tell you, I think in this season, the enemy wants to unseat us. He wants to unseat us from our position, our posture, our understanding as the sons and daughters. And he wants to come and say, no, no, but your job says get up. Your financial status says get up. Your relational status says get up. Your, your, your fears, your addictions say get up. But we're people that don't live on our emotional status. We don't live on our relational status. We don't live on our financial status. We live with it is written. And he is faithful to his word, not faithful to the world's worries, the world's, world's concerns. He's faithful to his word. This is so true. The Bible tells us this is one of the truest statements. The Bible says that even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. Why? Because he cannot deny himself. Faithfulness is not what he does. It's who he is. It's the nature of his character. And this, I won't teach you one more Hebrew word. That word mercy that there appears there is this word haran. Charan, one of my favorite words. And, and you, you, can, you can guess it where it's going with this one, but it's his faithfulness, his mercy, the other words, his compassion, his compassionate faithfulness is one that comes underneath us, the one that upholds us, the one who lowers himself beneath us. But as I read it, that word Charan appears again in Luke 15, of all places. And what is that word? The father who sees the prodigal son from a while way off, it says that he felt compassion, he felt mercy, he felt Charan. And what does the father do? He run. He run. The compassionate mercy of our father runs to us. 
It runs after us. Can I tell you, you may have felt that this year has left you bereft. You may feel that you are lonely beyond lonely. You feel that your heart is aching with a pain. Can I tell you, His mercy, His grace, His compassion, His faithfulness has relentlessly pursued you. It has not left you alone. It runs to you. It runs to you. It runs to you. No matter how far you run, it overtakes you again and again with His goodness. This is so huge, and it culminates. I want to tell you, we, we, re, we remember, we rehearse, we respond. There's this in, in, in Revelation chapter 2, 17. It talks about the moment that in the very end that the Father has these things for us. He has a secret manner that we, we do not know of. He says he, he has also has a white stone to give us. For he who overcomes, he has a white stone, and on it is written a name that no one knows. This is what will come. The Father has in store for you. He has a stone of, of, of blazoned of white to give to you. Now, the commentators are a bit, what's going on here in that story? But two of the most significant understandings are saying that in the, in the, the, the justice system of the day, the Greek jury, when they would have a, a, a judgment going out, they would have one of two ways to acquit somebody or to damn them to prison or damn them to the situation is that if you were innocent, they would hand you a white stone. If you were guilty, they would hand you a discolored one. There was no, there was no arguments, there was no need, because once you saw that color, there would either be despair or joy in the audience. Another way to look at it is in the Roman games, when they would win, the victor would be given a white stone with their name personally inscribed it as a symbol of their victory. Whichever way you look at it, I want to tell you, this is what our God has for you and I. Our God says when your hearts are, maybe you're looking inward, everything inside of you wants to look at your disqualification, wants to look at your lack, wants to look at your loneliness, wants to look at your fears, he says, I have a white stone for you. When the enemy says, no, you are discolored, your situation has is, is been disqualified, your situation, you have, you have let yourself down. Can I tell you the good news is we have a Savior who says, actually, you are innocent, and not only that, you are more than a conqueror. He has a white stone that he's written his name on, written your name on, and it says it's his in his hand. Amidst the moans and the groans, they're the stones. And let me say that again. We remember, we rehearse, and we respond. Repeat. We remember, we rehearse, we respond. Repeat. We remember, we rehearse, we respond, repeat. Can I tell you, this becomes our day. I've written in my Bible over those verses that actually, this is our, if you want homework, tomorrow you wake up and you put an altar and you build an altar say, God, this is how faithful you have been. You rehearse and say, this is where you will be faithful. Now I'm going to respond and walk on in that faithfulness. These are the stones we put in place to get traction for our lives. Let me tell you why all of this is huge. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the rock of ages. It tells us that he is the living stone. It tells us he is the rock of offense, and yet he is the rock of salvation. We are told he is the stone that the builders rejected, and he has become the cornerstone. On Christ, the solid rock, I will stand. All other ground is sinking stand. So much so that Jesus tells a parable, so simplistic. But he says actually this, there was one man who built his house on sand. He built it with the same Material as the other man, but the foundation was sand. And when the storms came, when the trouble came, when the betrayals came, when the fears came, that house was washed away. There was no traction. But the other man with the same materials, but he had a different response. He said he built that house on the rock. And when those same storms came, because they will come, the same offenses came, the same rejection came, the same insignificance came, but that house stood. 
because he built it on the rock. Amidst the moans and the stones, the groans, let's build our lives on the stones. Remember, rehearse, respond. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your presence here this morning amidst your people. I thank you that you're here with us, bringing strength to feeble hearts, bringing courage to hearts that are filled with anxiety. You're bringing joy into mourning situations, situations that have been mourning. You are bringing life into death situations. I thank you, Father, you do this by your word. You're faithful to your word. So, Father God, I pray your word and your truth and your spirit over your people today. Though you do not make light of their moaning, you do not make light of the groaning, you say these are real and you sympathize with them. You actually came and you became our weakness. You walked alongside us in our weakness. But I thank you, Father, you don't leave us in our weakness. You say, I have more for you. So I thank you, Father God. Would you give this pastoral word to us today as a deposit, a weighty deposit, a heavy deposit, almost in the shape and form of a stone, of a rock, that when the wind blows... There's traction in our lives. I thank you right now, Father God, you're coming where shame and guilt and sin have ravaged your people. I thank you, Father God, you're coming handing us a white stone saying, innocent because of my blood. Innocent because of my blood. Innocent because of what I have done. When the enemy says, but look what you have done, we look back and we look at that stone and say, look what he has done. The cornerstone, that which we have built our lives on. I thank you for this, God. Would you put this courage in us in the midst of the moans and the groans? We anchor our heart to the living stone, Jesus Christ, the rock of our salvation, our rock and our redeemer. Thank you for this in Jesus' name.